Hey, everybody. It is Trags, and this is the Jungle Roar podcast. I am joined by James Rapine of All Bearcats and AllBengals.com. Uh, both are uh, very appropriate in this particular Jungle Roar episode, James, because I think both teams uh, have really captured the heart and the minds and the souls of Cincinnati football fans. Would you not agree? Oh, no, I would totally agree. Right now, both Bearcats and Bengals fans thinking playoffs, which how about that? That would be uh, quite a story if both were to make it. I think um, for this episode, I'm going to start with the Bearcats because right now I think the Cincinnati Bearcats, James, are on the minds of every single fan, uh, football fan in the city of Cincinnati, and for very good reason. They win this game over number 20 or number 16, I believe, uh, Houston. They come in at 11 and 1, also 8 0 on their side of the AAC. If the Bearcats can beat that type of team, an 11-1 team, there is no way the CFP committee is holding them out, correct? I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And I think that there are a lot of people in Cincinnati that would still hold their breath at least a little bit. Just Sunday at because 1. Th- or th- Sunday at noon, I'm sorry. Right? Th- yes, I- exactly. And so th- that's the thing is, you know, and, and there is a, a little old team in Oklahoma State that continues to a play a, a a bunch of top 10 teams now. And if they win this week, then there's going to be at least some question. The The good news is for the Bearcats, they'll know what Oklahoma state has already done by the time they take the field on Saturday at four. But I agree with you. Ultimately, if they handle business against Houston, run the table, uh, they're already fourth in the college football playoff rankings. Can you ding them for, or drop them for winning the game, you know, for winning a conference title against a ranked team. Let's say they go to overtime and win the game, which could happen because Houston's a very good team. Clayton Toon, you're going to hear, you've probably already heard a lot about Clayton Toon already this week and uh, the prolific numbers he has over 3,000 passing yards this year for Houston. He's uh, passing at a 68%. Um, percentage rate for the Cougars this season. Uh, he is the real deal. But the, the irony of that is I think the Bearcats do better against traditional quarterbacks than they do against the Tulsas and the Navies that we've seen this mm-hmm. year. We've seen the Bearcats defense struggle against wishbone and against unconventional offenses. They go up against SMU, a team that had a terrific quarterback, and they blew them off the carpet. Yep. That's, it's a good point. And they're set up to do that, right? You have two awesome, awesome NFL bound corners, potentially right. a top 10, top 15 pick in sauce Gardner. And, and so you're right that they're, they're set up for that. And we've seen them. I, I mean, I was a bit surprised by that SMU result, but when you look at the matchups and in the styles, I totally agree with you. And that, that's the thing is, is that should benefit them. A home crowd should benefit them. And that's the part of it here where if you're UC and I think we are past the point of style points. Oh yeah. But there isn't, but there is an opportunity for some style points here because of the opponent, because of everything. And you know, if, if I would have told you three months ago that they're going to barely beat Tulsa and get off to a slow start against Tulane and, you know, all of these things that we saw. They they really struggled against Navy. That that game, we were on the road. uh, Oh, it was the Baltimore, the Ravens game. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I'm watching that and I'm going, I, I, it doesn't matter that I didn't go down to Annapolis and, and cover that game and then cover the Bengals the next day. And then I start watching it. And I'm getting really nervous. I'm like, oh, they're not going to lose this game to freaking Navy, are they? Yeah. And the thing is, I talked to someone not in the program, but close to the program the day before. It's like, he's like, yeah, I think they're going to blow the doors off of Navy, but it was just the weird style. You're on the road. It's that weird stadium. It's just uh, all of those weird things. And I think that put them in a funk a little bit. And the, the defense got, you know, almost out of rhythm and they started to feel the pressure for the first time this year. But when you play a Houston, even when you play an SMU, I think it's, oh, we're going to show them we're better than versus a team like Navy where everybody knows, even Navy knows that you're the more talented team versus on Saturday against Houston where the Cougars think they're better than the Bearcats. They might be wrong, but they're going to go into that game thinking they're better. And and so the Bearcats have to show that they're the better team. So uh, Clayton Toon in his 12 games, James Rapine of all Bearcats and all Bengals.com, two different sites, but does a great job for both. 24, uh, 244 of 355, that uh, computes to a 68.7 pass percentage, over 3,000 yards, as I said earlier, 3,013 to be exact, 26 touchdowns, eight picks, um, and a quarterback rating in college is very, very different than NFL, but still a very high one of 159.7. Uh, and if you're wondering about his weapons, Alton McCaskill 12, in his 12 games, uh, 162 uh, rushing attempts, 844 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns, and uh, he has caught a touchdown pass as well, 16 catches for 97 yards. He's really their all-purpose back. Yeah, and, and so this could be a shootout. This could be one of those games, especially if the defense doesn't get off to the start that, that they are capable of, because I think this defense could contain them. At the same time, this could be a a high scoring affair where you need Desmond Ritter in this offense, uh, you know, to put together uh, consistent scoring drives. And that's the thing with this offense in general throughout the year. You've had these ebbs and flows, this up and down inconsistent play. Right. And I think this is a good preview almost of what they'll have to deal with if they do make the college football playoff and if they do have to deal with these high end, because you can't be inconsistent on offense, then you're going to have to uh, be on target when there are receivers open. For example, if you're Des Ritter, you can't have the weird red zone interceptions that we've seen recently, things like that. Just they can't happen. Yes, I agree. And the, the red zone pick that Desmond yeah. Ritter had oh. last week was uh, you just wanted to go, what are you, what are you seeing, Des? I mean, you're such a good, he's a smart quarterback and he, he, he has a lot to me, the way he describes what he sees a lot in common with Burrow. He doesn't have clearly the type of resume and the, uh, you know, the pedigree, if you will, of a Joe Burrow. I think everybody would agree with that, but he still is a very bright quarterback, but he just, he, he makes some throws occasionally. You're like, mm, what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that was one of them because it kept, it kept ECU in the game technically yes. at that point. And you're like, why even a field goal? And I know how bad the Bearcats kicking team is, but you know, kicking games, but they make that field goal. Cause it's right there. I and, tell and you so that you throw that ball. Oh, that is what concerns me 
in now, starting now this mm-hmm. weekend and going forward if they make the playoff is the special sure. teams is the kicker. Well, if you need a 44-yard field goal, that should be routine. And for most top 10 teams, it is. For the Bearcats, it isn't. A 44-yard field goal is probably going for it on fourth down if it's fourth and two, fourth and three. And that can cost you against Houston. And then that'll certainly cost you or could cost you, excuse me, against the Georgias, against the Michigans, against these teams that will take advantage of that. And then suddenly you're giving their offense great field position. So, yeah, I I agree. We've been waiting for that to catch up to the Bearcats at some point, and they've always been able to overcome it. Although they, they missed out on some style points this year with, with some kicking issues. And I think it's cost them some momentum and some big moments where games could have swayed their way even more. They, uh, they, I, I can't even say they can, you know, need to solve it because I don't think there is a solution. It's no, just something I, that they're going to have to overcome. Just, and they're going to, and Luke Fickle is going to, and we're going to get to him in just a second. Cause I can't believe I haven't talked about him yet, but, um, Luke Fickle is going to have to come, uh, have to really make some tough decisions if they are fourth and three at their 28. Yep. And, four, and four, let's, that let, is... let's fourth and five at their 28. Even fourth and three. I mean, that's, that's still, it's, it's uh, to me, it should be, all right, do we want the automatic three points or do we want to extend this drive? And instead it's, do we really want to send him out there? (laughs) That sucks. That's such a bad feeling. So, and and not the feeling you want when you're playing in games with the stakes that they're going to be playing in potentially over the, the next three matchups. The irony of course, of this is Cole Smith won the game against Tulsa in the AAC last year under mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, and we talk about it and, and sure enough, they, they came up with the clutch kicks when they had to get them last year. I just, I, I, I get concerned that they're going to go up against a Georgia team in a, in the college football playoff and they're going to miss a kick and mm-hmm. it's going to cost them the game. I, by the way, while we're on that subject, I would like to see them play. I want a rematch against Georgia of the Peach Bowl, and I think do privately, really? I and I think privately, some of the Bearcats do too. I think they I could do. see that. Well, because there's a lot of seniors on that team who lived through that, that certain terrible left. loss. Honestly, it was a road game. Let's be honest. It was yes. at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, right? So it's a road game. You control the game. It should have been the biggest win. In, in Bearcats history, essentially. And beating, right, it, beating Georgia in a it, it New Year's been. Day Bowl for an undefeated season. And, and, and they let him off the hook. I mean, that's what it is. And, you know, the targeting penalty on James Hudson was ridiculous. But, uh, but the Bearcats could have overcome it, and they should have overcome it, and they didn't. And uh, so, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I get why a lot of these seniors, Des Ritter, who had the, the throw, he was open. You know, had the throw to to ice the game, didn't didn't do it. So uh, hopefully he gets another chance at that. Although there is a chance they move up to three. There is in this with scenario. style points. If they blew out Houston, I maybe style points. And I mean, there's well, Bama would have to lose, and Bama loses, and Bama's. But would Bama play Georgia again? I don't think they want that. I mean, I really. That's the other. That's the wild. Well, card. if Bama loses, they're out. I think. You think they're still in? Mm, I don't know. Two losses? I, well, no, if Bama loses and Oklahoma State wins, it, uh, Oklahoma State bumps out Alabama. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And, and the Bearcats win. I want to ask you a what if. What if Houston at home had beaten Texas Tech on opening day and they were also undefeated? Then Houston, 
it, it's odd. It's funny that you say that. I think Houston would be kind of where the Bearcats were last year. Yeah. Where they would be that, you know, they'd probably be the eighth or ninth ranked team or something like that. Maybe they're seventh, but they, they have no real shot, no realistic shot, even with a win over UC to get in the top four without a lot of help. And, and, and that's where I think it was. Now, the Bearcats, what they benefited from, they started high based on what they did last year. I think that had a lot to do with it. Yep. They impressed early. They crushed, and don't just look at the score, they crushed Notre Dame. I couldn't agree in more. In their place. Dominated. They dominated them. They dominated. They really did. It was never really you know, a, a close game. They almost struggled more, and they still won by two touchdowns against Indiana the week prior. Um so, or was it the week after? Either uh, way. It was two weeks prior because they had the we, bye two week. Yeah, it was two weeks prior and then it was yes. Notre Dame. Correct. Yeah, there we go. So, um, so yeah, the, the fact that they did that, and I get it's not a great Notre Dame team, but they're in the running for a college football playoff and it's a great win on the road. So that's, uh, th- that is an interesting question though. Best news of the Cincinnati football season to me has been uh, what happened this week with Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman staying on the defensive coordinator being expected to be promoted um, to the uh, replacement of Brian Kelly as head coach of Notre Dame. I think it's great news for the Bearcats. And I enjoyed our text back and forth. I think it was on, it was Wednesday night, right? Where uh, we were debating the theory of what exactly probably happened. And my instinct is that Luke Fickle if he wanted the job, it was his. He didn't necessarily want it. Whereas you, you had a you had a different take, James. Yeah, I did. I, I think he absolutely wanted it, but he's not going to bail today for it. He has a chance to win a national championship and right. an AAC championship first, and get in the college football playoff. And so that's the part of it where. You know, he can't leave now and be there for the early signing day. I think that Notre Dame wanted Luke Fickle. Uh, I still do. I mean, Marcus Freeman is a Luke Fickle disciple. So it's very clear to me that, uh, you know, you go with the next best thing because you want to uh, have that one consistency because he was there this year, but two for, for national signing day. But no, I if if Notre Dame was willing to wait, I think Luke Fickle would be gone and timing matters you know and by the way i don't blame luke fickle one bit that, that's the part of it we all want promotions we all want better jobs notre dame is a better job than the university of cincinnati head coach you know head football coaching it just is sorry it is that being said certainly more prestige it, yes but no, i mean I, but, you but know I, where i'm going with that because you can recruit different athletes that you see that you could not recruit at notre dame i mean notre dame has has uh because of the academics and and yeah and it's become more lenient over the years but still the the type of students and what you can uh, recruit at university of cincinnati has traditionally been different than what you can recruit at notre dame so you think luke said ah i'm okay i think it was a quality of life issue i think and this is guesswork i don't know for a fact sure i'm guessing too of course but quality of life in cincinnati what he has going for himself here his home you know living in the suburbs he i think he's and his family his wife 
are very comfortable here in Cincinnati. Whereas you up and move, especially if his kids are, you know, uh, in high school, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. And mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, and it's not like he doesn't have a great program, uh, a burgeoning program here in Cincinnati. He does. And he's building something huge in Cincinnati that nobody else has built. And he, the irony of this is he could build at UC what Brian Kelly did not want to stick around and do. And that to me is, you know, life is cyclical. I think he could absolutely build a bigger, stronger program than what Brian Kelly had going when he left in 2010. I think he already has to, to your point. I agree. And, and I think, but, but I think we get it to that level, that next level. When you, when you think of Bearcat football, you think of Luke Fickle. And I agree. And I agree with everything you said about him and his family liking Cincinnati and everything like that. And I think those are the reasons why he didn't want the Michigan State job. Or he, he wouldn't really take, you know, maybe even the LSU job. I was going to say LSU, yeah. USC. I know everybody was like, Mike Bone, Mike Bone. And, and I laughed the, the day that Mike Bone fired Clay Houghton. And it was this thing. I was like, Fickle is not going to Southern Cat. Like, there is no damn way. But you know where I think he would go? Notre Dame. And I think that it, there's, there's a very short list. Obviously, there's everyone talks no, about no. Notre Dame and Ohio State. State. right? And it's probably those two. Maybe Penn State is people third about. I don't see that. I think he can build his own Penn State in Cincinnati. I don't think he could find the, the prestige, the history, all that stuff that comes with Notre Dame. So, one, I don't think anyone expected this job to be open because Fickle, as of last week, was telling recruits, hey, I'm staying. Right. And, and so it opened up if Notre Dame had waited, it changes things. But I, I think Fickle said, hey, I'm willing to talk to you. He probably put it out there. I'm willing to talk to you. I'm not talking to you right now. I'm worried about work. This is the same guy, by the way, because people don't buy that with these coaches. This is the same guy that coached UC and started to recruit for UC and was going back and forth from Columbus to Cincinnati and was still the defensive coordinator at Ohio that. State. This yes. dude is loyal. He's not he just going to go. And uh, and so th- that's the part. I think he was willing to talk. I think he probably would have taken the job, but not right now, not with a, a potential national championship in the, in the balance. Marcus Freeman apparently blew off the doors of those who he interviewed with, with uh, Notre Dame and those who have been around him, obviously. And rave uh, about him. Everybody yes. at UC loves him. And I'm not surprised. Those at Notre Dame on the outside, the fan base feel that it might be a bit of a risk. You're going with an unproven commodity in terms of a head coach, uh, mm-hmm. first time head coach at that level. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think, you know, if what you read is to be believed, I think Marcus Freeman is going to have a different approach and attitude than Brian Kelly. And, you know, some of the players are pretty pissed off. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think everybody has seen the video now. It's been on um, different websites and it's gone viral of Brian Kelly's four and a half minute farewell speech. What did you think of that? Uh, I did. Is his farewell speech? Yes. I did not see that. Oh, wow. It's it's an awkward. Let me let me tell you this. He says, I can't wait to watch it now. Brian Kelly says that. Uh, it's, I want everybody in this room to understand that it's nobody's fault. What happened? It's no one's fault. I love you all. You all have a chance 
as one of the, I think you're one of the best four teams in college football. And I think you deserve a chance to go play for the national championship. I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. And there was nothing at the end. He walks off stage, right. And it was dead silence. And I'm like, no applause, no, nothing. No, it was just like a wake. Well, two things. One, there's no way in hell he thinks one of the, they're one of the best four teams because they're not. Um, they, there's one. And could, they could end up still in the college football playoff if they get a lot of help on uh, the, over the next few days. But that's, that is a lie. But And this might be a take, Mike, and you might rip me. I might get you going. Please do. I think LSU is a better job than Notre Dame for part of the reason you just said. I don't I, disagree with that. Because you can recruit – five-star after five-star after five-star. Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame for 12 years. And I'm not saying he's the best guy in the world. I'm good friends with Tony Pike, and I've heard a lot of the stories, and, and I sure. get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I also understand after 12 years and you get this opportunity to maybe not only win a national title, maybe win multiple, maybe become the SEC power. Like, Nick Saban's only getting older. And at some point, someone's going to, you know, uh, end up taking the mantle from Alabama. And if you're Brian Kelly, you've won everywhere. Why would you not think uh, you could have a ton of success with all of the facilities and all of the resources that LSU lets you have? So I don't blame him for taking the job. I know a lot of people thought it was almost a lateral move. I don't think it's a lateral move when it comes to national title contention. The last three head coaches there won national titles. And I think he's got a good shot too, as well, even though I get it, it's ugly. It feels grimy. It feels ugh, with the way he left and how he left. And I'm not saying he he's great at it because I, I think a lot of, a lot of men especially are bad at breakups and Brian Kelly's probably one of them. Yeah. I, I like that uh, <laughs> metaphor there. I like that a lot, James. Well, speaking of LSU, here's the segue of all segues. Um, Joe Burrow. And uh, Jamar Chase and now Thad Moss, who was active, really didn't get any action on uh, Sunday against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The uh, Bengals go up against the Chargers. And um, first of all, did um, I was not there on Wednesday, full disclosure. Did uh, Joe Burrow say anything about uh, Brian Kelly or was that even brought up? I dropped the damn ball and forgot to ask him. Um, so, yeah, I know. It, ridiculous. I should have <laughs> because it's, you know, that's such a an interesting dynamic, right. With the Cincinnati ties and in everything that goes in that, by the way, you know, you know, Luke fickles tied into that Luke fickles trying to get Joe Burrow a few years ago right. and almost had him at UC was there at, at Ohio state. So there's a lot of ties there. So uh, maybe way, next way week to I'll go. ask him after James. He's, he's had time. I, I did. I, you know, I was busy asking him about the offense and, you know, actual Boring. Bengals football questions. I know you're Boring. right. Boring. Um, so now you can't ask me about the Bengals offense since it's boring. Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> well, you know what? I'm still going to try and you can say, screw you. I'm you know, not going to answer. Um, but uh, that was on Sunday, really everything coming together. I mean, I know we saw it in Baltimore, but yeah. to have that performance against a team that have, had everything on the line and you would have humiliated them before and Tyler Boyd, one of your best receivers, called them quitters and Mm -hmm. i i tweeted right before halftime what the steelers had done to them in the first half of that game was worse than quitting they they were humiliated 
Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was very rare. The Bengals are in rare air right now in, in the stuff they're doing, crushing Baltimore, crushing the Steelers, um, going to Vegas on the road after back-to-back losses and just handling things like well, and, a and veteran team, like a winning team. Right. And not to interrupt you, but I'm going to, cause it's my podcast. Um, <laughs> gotcha. No, but they, but, but they were in control of the game. Right. But and that, the, that's they tough. were, but the, the score was close. And what I liked about Vegas was they, t- they made their breaks. They created turnovers and they blew out Vegas toward the end and didn't let mm-hmm. Vegas hang around. And that's, that's almost the kind of game I expect this Sunday against the chargers, not necessarily uh, a low scoring game, right. Where a team scoring 13, but where it's going to be neck and neck and they're going to be pressed. And you know, the Bengals might have a haymaker and, and then jab, 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 another haymaker. Well, guess what? Justin Herbert's got plenty of uh, a strong jaw and, and the chargers, I think are, are prepared to counter punch and vice versa. We know Joe Burrow in the Bengals, they're, they're thick skull too. So that's the the exciting part, I think, Sundays. This could be one of those games where it's blow for blow, turnover here, turnover there, a lot of big plays, and not just through the air, you know, running the ball as well. Austin Eckler and Joe Mixon, two of the best running backs in the league. So it's uh should be an exciting one. Every time Joe Burrow throws it over the middle, I like gasp. And I'm getting out of the habit now. The reason I do this, James, is when you look at the windows he's throwing into over the win- over the middle, and for instance, last week a couple of times to T. Higgins on yep. crossing patterns, yep. uh, shallow crossers, or intermediate, right where the linebacking uh, core is. Um, I really like I, I look back on the film or the replay in the stadium and go, oh, my God, what a w- narrow window. And he's doing mm-hmm. that and without hesitation. And that to me shows that shows me that the guy is fearless. He has total um, the total ability to forget any previous mistakes and say, I can make this throw. I'm going to make it. And there's no hesitation. And to me, that's a huge thing you, you want to see in your quarterback as a leader. For sure. There's no doubt. There was one throw last week specifically, and you you mentioned it was to T Higgins. And I think we were all like, oh my God, it was on third down too, I believe. Yeah. And there's a corner linebacker safety. And I think another linebacker, I think it was in between four Pittsburgh Steelers and boom, there's T Higgins. And he just, I think there's ultimate trust right now. He trusts his receivers are going to be where they need to be. He trusts his arm. And, you know, is, is going to be accurate and, and strong enough to get it in, in some tight spots. The other third of Teagans, it wasn't over the middle, but the 32-yard the touchdown, Yeah, it, he released it. And Higgins isn't even even with the cornerback as he's going to throw it. And that, to me, is like, man, like that. There, there's just ultimate trust to win, in, you know, one-on-one matchups or, or, or be in the right spot. And, um you know, I, I think we're going to see he had an interception last week. I think we're going to continue to see those interception numbers decline. He's got one in the first two games of the bye after having, well, they have 11 uh, at the yeah, bye. Yeah, he had he 20 touchdowns, league. 11 picks. That's correct. Yep, so now he's at 12. So we'll see now if that uh, that percentage starts to drop some because I know that's a point of emphasis for him. But, and, and Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan will tell you this, you've got to accept mm-hmm. some of that, some of those mistakes with the kind of quarterback you have in Burrow who 
is fearless and is going to try and make those throws into windows. It's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's that sometimes you try to make the right play and the opponent makes just a better play. And there have Mm -hmm. been those. And, you know, and I think Zach has done a great job this year of kind of having Joe's back quite a bit and, Mm -hmm. you know, not throwing Joe on the, I mean, there've been a couple of times where he said, you know, we can, whenever you hear Zach Taylor saying we can learn from that, that's, that is a a mistake that Joe is on Joe. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've heard that a couple of times, but for the most part, he and uh, Zach and Callahan have been very good to Joe. And I think, and I think Burrow appreciates that a lot. Yeah, I, I agree because he's still a second year quarterback. There's still going to be throws that he's either testing out or that he is going to learn from. And he is going to realize, all right, well, we're up multiple scores on the Ravens and they hit me with a zero blitz and I'm supposed to throw it up to Jamar Chase here, but he's double covered. And I don't know if on my back foot, I can get it to that back pylon. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just throw it out of bounds <laughs> or I'm going to just throw it underneath the Piran. He's going to get six yards and we're going to kick a field goal and end the game. You know, those type of situations where, you know, he's, he's still learning and figuring out exactly, all right, I can do this. I can't do this. Or he just straight up makes a mistake. And, uh, I expect those mistakes to become fewer and fewer and get smaller to where there aren't many, because I think he can be so damn good. I mean, this is, he's only played just over 16 games and I think he's the best quarterback from that draft class and is going to be the best quarterback on the field Sunday. We'll see. I know how great Herbert is, but I I think he is. I agree. And a colleague of ours, Ben baby of ESPN Mm -hmm. um, kind of teases sometimes me about Joe Burrow being, because I think that Burrow does when he is called upon to, he is a great game manager. And, you know, Ben is like, you don't draft a number one overall quarterback to be a game manager. And I, I'm like, I couldn't disagree more. I've, I've gotten like veins in my neck stick out when, cause Ben knows he's teasing me. Uh, he, he knows how to get under my skin and tease me. And so do you. He's the only one, not me. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, you do. Uh, but anyway, Ben <laughs> gets under my skin because he calls uh, Joe Burrow, that great game managing quarterback. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. If, yep. if you make the right decisions and hand off to Mixon when they have a light box, that's what I want to see from the quarterback. Or if your offensive line is showing, which it hasn't done a lot this year, to be frank, obviously, but when your offensive line is showing that it's dominating the line of scrimmage, then go with runs, go run heavy like you did on Sunday. Yeah, no, I, and I, I think that that's probably the plan this week, but the beauty in burrow and the thing I would counter Ben with and anybody that talks about game manager. Well, yeah, Joe burrow can do that. And he's comfortable doing that. And, you know, so is Tom Brady and Peyton Manning was, and you know, great quarterbacks are comfortable doing that, but we're not talking about Joe Mayfield here as in Baker. Mayfield. Right. Baker Mayfield right. is a game manager. That's yeah. he, he is the number one pick. That's a game manager. And by the way, his arm is better than burrows. It's stronger, but the difference is, is burrows smarter pre-snap, uh, more athletic uh, is is so much better anticipating and reading and, and all of the things that make him special. And so if he gets into a shootout, well, all right, well, game manager be damn, let's go. Or if he's down 14 to Jacksonville, just put the ball in my hand, right? And I, I think Sunday might be that. It might be a game. It depends where, on yeah, what 
the defenses, the defensive front is showing them. Well, what I mean is the Bengals might look up and let's say they, uh, the, the chargers receive the kick. They, you know, the Bengals defer. Cause that's what they'll do. If they win the toss, Herbert goes down and scores. And then for whatever reason, Burrow and the Bengals go three and out, which we saw a lot early in the season on their first possession. And then Herbert goes and scores again. Well, I don't think the game's over there. And game for for game managers, that that it's pretty uh, pretty bleak if you're down fourteen nothing. I think he's capable of getting them back into the game, even though he couldn't do that against Cleveland because that's just a, a really weird matchup for the Bengals. So defensively, what do the Bengals have to do to be successful against Herbert and Eckler? Oh my God. That's a tough I'm more scared of Eckler. I, no, I'm more scared of Eckler. I, I'm glad you mentioned Eckler. I, I think he's going to give these linebackers fits. Are you trying to catch him out of the backfield and the way he, you know, can catch the ball and run every damn route in the world. Um, but no, Herbert can make every throw. What and about, so, okay. L- let me just throw this at you. If you're that afraid of the linebackers getting caught in coverage, then yeah. go, go dime it, or go okay. big, go big dime, go big nickel. Get, get, yeah. get more speed on the, on the field defensively. Mm-hmm. And I, and I've said this all season long. I think Lou Anarumo has had a great year, not a good year, a great year scheming up uh, and assessing what he has on the field for the most part. So who are you going with Ricardo out? You're going to do more Ricardo. You're going to put bell on the box. I would put bell in the box. Um, I really, I think Ricardo Allen is like one of those players for the Bengals this year. No one has talked about. I think we asked about, uh, Rico in week one or two, Mm -hmm. uh, if I recall correctly, and then nobody's asked about him since like, no one is talking about how big of a factor he has been in their defense. And I've got to do a better job of breaking down the, you know, the numbers and the analytics of what the Bengals defense is like when he's out on the field. But I'd like to see him uh, more uh, covering uh, covering running backs coming out of the uh, backfield. The the question is, what kind of tackler do um, Luana Rumo and Zach Taylor think Rico Allen is? Yeah. And and, and so that that's a question. Uh, that they're going to have to, and maybe we'll see it answered and we'll see him out there a ton. And because look, he'll, I mean, be one of the, the many looks they use. And, and another Ben baby uh, classic is, you know, if you get a, a running back on Logan Wilson and you know where I'm going with this, Logan mm-hmm. Wilson's great downfield, but if you get somebody behind him in coverage, like many linebackers in the league, uh, you're going to have trouble. And you're going to have Mm -hmm. mismatches and the Bengals want to avoid that. And that's, you know, kind of what we're looking at with a a player who is as dynamic as Eckler is. That's what scares me there. Um, A couple other matchups that worry me some, whoever Eli Apple is on and I get it. He's had a good couple of weeks, but whoever Eli Apple is guarding is most of the time, either going to be Mike Williams or Keenan Allen. And so that's tough. You know, that's a tough ask. Well, Keenan, and, Keenan's more of a slot. So you figure Hilton's going to be there, right? And, and so, so, so this is why I said this on Locked on Bengals on our Friday show. Uh, I said, I would put a strictly on Mike Williams. He's a big bodied guy, can run. Okay, fine. Hey, Cheeto, take out Mike Williams. And then, yeah, Eli might have to face Keenan Allen some. But he's also going to have to deal with Mike Hilton. And I don't love that matchup, by the way, for the Bengals either. I mean, Keenan Allen's just really good. You're not going to love it. Um, but, but that way it's not, hey, Eli, 
guard Mike Williams for 55 snaps because that that could just be that could be tough. And, and then the uh, the other matchup that I think is worth mentioning is Trey Hendrickson, Rashawn Slater, ten and a half sacks versus rookie phenom that I have uh, Chargers fans telling me how the Bengals got it wrong. They should have taken Slater and not Chase, which I can't believe we're back in April. I had to deal with that this week. It's hilarious because that's ridiculous. The Bengals offense is great with Chase, and he's a big reason why they're winning. But um, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a big matchup because if the Bengals are going to get some pressure on Herbert, it's probably coming from Hendrickson. Um, I like the way the defensive front is playing. Um, again, you know, you're talking about Trey Hendrickson, who already has double-digit sack totals, right? I mean, he's already at double-digit, yep. ten and a half. And you know, what do you think of Sam Hubbard's play this year? I think it's gotten progressively better. Um, I know he did not have the production numbers in the first half of the season that he probably wanted. Um, but I think, I think he sets the edge very well. And I don't think he's been exposed. Let's put it that way. I don't think people are killing him. No, no, I, I thought, he, I think and I know that well. sounds like, you know, praise by damn, whatever the expression is. Uh, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Long but, day. Go ahead. But no, I, I think he is playing well, and I think he, there's a chance he gets the double-digit sacks this year for the first time in his career. And um, look, if if they can stop the run week in and week out like they have most weeks, Hubbard's usually going to be a big part of that. And if he can clean up some sacks here and there and, and have that high motor, you need guys like that. And he is that guy. Now, is he going to be this awesome edge rusher? No. And they're not paying him to be that, but they are paying him to be elite against the run and to, to clean up sacks and get them when they're there. And I think he's done a good job of that. And he's showed up. I mean, he's had sacks in big games, that Baltimore game. He was great in, you know, he, he, he was good last week as well. I believe he had a sack. So yeah, he's, uh, he, he's playing well. well. Yeah. And then he had the, the fumble recovery at the end when the game was decided, but we, uh, in return. So that was pretty cool too. You're so talking no, about the Raider well. game. Yeah, 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 that was two games ago, right? Yeah, that's bleed where together. he ran out of gas. Yeah, they all bleed together. Yeah, run out of gas. That's uh, damn by anyway. phrase was the expression I was trying to come up with. I was bub- uh, bumbling around. Um, all right, uh, quick injury notes. Uh, we expect Trey Hopkins to play. Yes, he has a banged up knee and ankle, but we expect him to play, whereas Riley Reef can't go. Um, Isaiah Prince is the guy, and he's been a very good, I think, uh, third tackle and valuable third tackle for the Bengals this year. And so if that happens, you're talking about the, you know, the six offensive line sets probably out, you know, when you go big, I don't think they're going to, I mean, maybe they use Activate Jackson Carmen or, or Fred, yeah, Johnson. Fred Johnson. Yeah. I, that's, you know, I just don't see it happening and, and, and yeah, Fred Johnson would be active in that scenario, but I don't think you're putting him in that Isaiah Prince role. Um, so that changes their offense a little bit. And not only that, whoever is playing right tackle, whether it's a hobbled Riley reef, whether it's Isaiah Prince, you got to deal with Bosa and Joey Bosa is an animal. He's one of two guys that you need to pay attention to on this defense. Like really, really, we haven't really, even, right. really we haven't even talked about him. Go ahead. Joey Bosa, Derwin James. I mean, the Bengals love Derwin James coming out of the draft. Uh, he almost fell to him. He fell to 17. Uh, that was the Billy price draft. Um, but, uh, <sighs> Man, I uh, you wouldn't have BJ those are the Hill. two guys. <laughs> Look at it this way, guys. You wouldn't BJ have BJ Hill. Hill if you didn't draft Billy Price, who's playing great. 
Hill and Reader have been animals on the interior of that line. There's no doubt about it. And, and you know, the, the thing that encourages me, and I, we're going to wrap it up here, James Rapine of all Bearcats and all Bengals.com, um, is we have so many unsung heroes on this defense. That's mm-hmm. a very, very good sign. That means you're mm-hmm. not expecting you're not expecting Trey Hendrickson to go out and have four sacks every single freaking game. You don't need it, that. No, you're right. And, and I feel like you've seen this in New England where it's it's very similar. Yes. Right. What where Blue yeah, threat. Logan Wilson might be the hero this week, Eli Apple this week, Chidobe Wujie this week. Who knows? Maybe it's a Jesse Bates week. And I think he's gonna get tested more on Sunday than he has all year. Cause I know I get it. The Chargers don't push the ball down the field as much this year. You're telling me Justin Herbert's not going to want to air it out a couple times. Of course he's he going to want to air it out. Yeah. Of course so I, I think that the, yeah, there, there's might not be any superstars on this defense, but there's a lot of good players. And I sold a lot of stock at the buy in this defense, but uh, they, they've proved me wrong the past couple of weeks. And this is, in my opinion, the most talented offense, including the Packers that they faced all season. So it's a, a huge test Sunday. That, those are uh, big words. Uh, so we're going to get a prediction from you, James Rapine. Wow, a prediction. See, I didn't even know this was coming, but that's yeah, okay. Yeah, ex- I like I'm to a- shock and, and catch people off guard. I'm expecting a shootout. Uh, I, I think that this Joe Burrow-Justin Herbert rivalry is just getting started. There's going to be some awesome moments, some not-so-awesome weird turnover moments. I think there's going to be probably three turnovers between the two teams, maybe four, where it's two to two. And uh, I expect a lot of points. So get ready to write, Trags, because we're going to have a lot of writing to do because there's going to be a lot of scoring. <laughs> Bengals 38, Chargers 34 in an epic, oh, my God, the NFL's kicking itself because it didn't flex Burrow Herbert round one epic matchup on Sunday afternoon. 30, uh, I'm going to go 35, 31 Bengals. And wow, we both picked the Bengals. What a bunch yeah. of homers. Yeah, that's yeah, look, I Kelsey Conway of the Inquirer told asked you were there on, on I, the I field there. before Sunday, Sunday's game. Do you ever pick against the Bengals, Mike? And I'm like, well, I thought that they were gonna win 12 games this year. I really did going into the season. So I haven't picked against the Bengals very they much. They still at all. could. And they still could. They if they win out, they'd win 13, but I they're gonna lose one or two more. I, I think, uh, and I mean, get a Bearcats prediction real quick. Oh, I, I think, I think they win. Hmm. Oh, 30, to, uh, 30 to 20, something like that. I, I think it'll be, yeah, I don't think it'll be crushing. I think it'll be a good win. What do you think? Uh, 30, 23 Bearcats and they yeah. go 13 and 0, and they are going to play Georgia in the, in the orange bowl. That's what I think is the happen. chance at a national championship. And we all know where the national championship is, right? I we went over this, James, in the press box. Indy, right? Indy, the yeah, day after Indy. the Cleveland Browns final regular season game. Well, the just... Bengals clinch the one seed in the AFC on that Sunday, and then Monday we have to cover the national championship. If so, you're driving. All right, I'll, yeah. I'll ride. You drive. Deal. Mark <laughs> me down. I will gladly do that. If that and if then that would I'll, be uh, history. Yeah, and then I, since we're we're on this you know pipe dream, then I'll pay for our our Uber from the airport at LAX uh, to the hotel for the Super Bowl during Super All right. Bowl week. Like, um, and uh, I'm on board for that as well. 
All right. It's been a real uh, treat having James Rapine of all Bearcats and all Bengals because both teams are in the thick of uh, Cincinnati football craziness here in the first week of December. This is just so much fun for a fan base of both programs that have waited a long time for success like this. James, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. I will. uh, I'll see you Saturday as uh, football weekend here in Cincinnati gets kicked off. All right. For James Rapine, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Jungle Roar podcast.